You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hello again. So good to be back. Uh, We're starting a new series today called Certain. And what I want to do during this series is encourage you in God's love. I want you to be encouraged with certainty of the love that God has for you understood in Jesus Christ. So those in this room who claim the name of Jesus, who claim to be believers, who've repented of their sins by faith and trusted in Jesus, I want everyone in this room to be certain of where you stand with God and the love that he has for you. So I'm excited about this series. God wants that for us. In the Bible, in the book of 1 John, it says that he wrote these things so we can know that we have eternal life. God doesn't want us laying awake at night wondering where we stand with him. God wants us to be certain of who he is and what he's done for us and what our status is with him in the context of how he holds us in his hand and how loved we are by him. So I'm going to pray for us and we'll jump in uh, to this new series. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 for the next few weeks. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word. I ask that I share that today, not my opinion, but what your word says So we believe it's your word that has truth and authority and what we need to hear. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I ask you to be with me as I speak, be with our church family as they listen, and allow the the whole church in Tallahassee to move forward as we unite back together. Please keep the enemy out of this place and out of our services, out of our city, and allow us to be clear on who you are and certain of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's important we understand when it comes to God's love that we don't just understand God's love in terms of it being sentimental. Uh, It's not just kind of all how neat God loves me. We must understand God's love theologically if we're actually going to grasp the hugeness of it and what it actually means to be the children of God. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to start in verses 38 through 39 and kind of work backwards a little bit. Uh, Here Paul writes to the Christians in Rome, he says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, and in case I forgot anything, nor any other created thing, he writes, will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is, again, it's not random, it's not sentimental, it's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Like, what a passage of scripture. What amazing words that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. See, here Paul announces the magnitude of his certainty of where he stands with God when he affirms that nothing can separate him from God's love in Christ. What these verses are are a big picture of the assurance of salvation. Now, we see that throughout the Bible, these reminders, these truths, but here we see it in such an amazingly captured way. It's in the context of the entire chapter of Romans chapter 8. So how can I be certain? How can I know for sure that God loves me? We hear that regularly just in life in general. God loves you, God loves you. How how can I know that? And why does it matter for me as a Christian even more than it matters for a non-Christian? Does God love those people too? Of course he does, but why does it matter more for me? And why do I need to understand what it means to actually be loved by God? How can I be certain of where I stand with him? based on what he has promised us, that nothing can separate me from him, from his love. The first thing, I just want you to be encouraged by all this today, because I'm encouraged by it. We have so much going on in our world, I just want you to be encouraged in the scriptures, and that's that we are not under condemnation for our sins. We are not under condemnation for our sins. 
the end of chapter 7, Paul's just begun talking about his struggle in the Christian life, how he knows what he's supposed to do, but it's hard for him to actually do it, how he believes the good news of the gospel, you know, that Jesus is his Lord, but he still uh, tends to revert back to his old way of life, just the struggle of trying to live the Christian life. And after he's confessing that, just like he's a normal guy like us that have our ups and downs and our struggles, he said, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Like, I'm struggling. Who's gonna, I, I sin so often. Why do I do this? I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know that Jesus is Lord. Why do I keep choosing the world? He goes, what a wretched man I am. Who's gonna free me from this? But he reminds himself that he can be certain. He says, well, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Like, he's the one who frees me from it. So with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. He goes, I still struggle. In my flesh, I still revert back to it. He goes, therefore, he's reminding himself again, reminding the reader, therefore, when it gets to chapter eight, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who know the Lord. Why? Just randomly? No, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law showed us our inability to keep it. The Ten Commandments show us our inability to keep those very well. Like, we go down the list of Ten Commandments, we like break them immediately. Up, oh, done that, done that. Jesus took it even a step further. He's like, oh, why well, didn't murder anybody? He's like, oh, yeah, well, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. It's like, oh. Well, I never committed adultery. Well, if you lust after someone, you've committed it in your heart. It's like, oh. It's just like guilty, guilty, guilty. And it can be depressing unless we recognize what Jesus has come to do, which is to free us from this to free us from this penalty, from God's punishment of sin. There's, there's no condemnation. It's important to know that yes, we sinners deserve death. That's what the God's word is clear of, but God has freed us from that. Octavius Winslow said this about condemnation. He said, but from this woe, all believers in Christ are delivered. The sentence of death under which in common with others they lay is absolved. The curse is removed. The indictment is quashed. And there is therefore no, now no condemnation from all which the word of significant and solemn import implies. He is, by his relation to Christ, delivered. Sin does not condemn him. The law does not condemn him. The curse does not condemn him. Hell does not condemn him. And how amazing is this next line? God does not condemn him. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the existence of a present condition. It's not just future, it's that it's true of me right now. I have the enjoyment of what I call present immunity. I have that right now. An actual immunity from the punishment of sin in the moment, not just future. I want you to know that this morning, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Stop condemning yourself when God already has not. Jesus was condemned in your place. He didn't just randomly die some sacrificial death as some kind of example to the world of what self-sacrifice looks like, as some might try to say. No, in our place, condemned, he actually stood. Please believe that for yourself, of what Jesus' death actually accomplished for you. He rose from the grave three days later, sealing our justification, our not guilty of our sins. Jesus conquered Satan's sin and death, and because of that, there's no condemnation for you who are in Christ. The second thing that I want to encourage you with about being certain of God's love for you and where you stand with God and that nothing can separate you from him is that God is for us. 
Think about that for a moment. The creator of the universe is for you. I mean, how amazing is that? How easy to lose sight of things that might seem so simple yet are so profound that God is for you. And here's what Paul writes after his confessions in Romans 7, telling us that there's no condemnation. He just keeps going through the book. And here's what he says. He says, in those he predestined, so before the beginning of time, it's a biblical word, there's a lot of mystery to it, but God before the foundation of the world predestined a people for himself. It says that he also called. He called people, and that's not controversial at all because anyone in this room who's a Christian, who gave your life to Christ at some point, you know that, that there was some kind of moment in your life that drew you to God. It could have been some, a thought in your head, a feeling of helplessness. It could have just been an agreement with the truth. Whatever it might have been, you were, you were called to God. Something brought you to faith in God. Maybe the instruction of a grandmother or a mother, like something allowed you to understand and believe. He, he called. He also justified. He declared not guilty. He made righteous. And those he justified, he also glorified, with his, which is future. One day heaven for all of us who trust in Christ. So based on this like kind of really kind of wordy, heavy theology there, using terms like predestined, called, justified, glorified, he then asks an important question. He says, what then are we to say about these things? Like if this is all true, how do I respond to that? He says, well, if God's for us, which all of this proves, then who is against us? Like if God is actually for us and he's called us and he's justified us, then who else in the world can be against us? And if they are, why does it matter? He says, and here's how he is for us. Not rah, rah, re, go get him, but he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? All the promises of God. So then he asks a really important question based on all that. He goes, so who can bring an accusation against God's elect, against God's church, against God's people? Like who can actually do that if all these other things are true? And the answer is nobody. Nobody, no one, nothing can bring an accusation against me. The accusations you hear in your head that you're not worthy, that you're not good enough, that your failures define you that you haven't been to church enough in the last however many years and, that's, and that is why you should feel awkward walking in. All that God says, ridiculous. I'm for you in Christ. I'm granting you all things in Christ and no one can bring an accusation against you. The accusations in your head, that's not from me, that's from the enemy. Well, there's conviction that God brings upon us, the things we need to turn from and repent of. But we're told it's his kindness that leads us to that in the book of Romans chapter two. That all these things that are true about God and what he's done for us and his love for us and our certainty leads us now not to rebellion, but to say, God, not, not my will, your will be done. I wanna be with you. I wanna follow you because wow, look at what all you've given me in Christ. Who can bring an accusation, verse 33, against God's elect? What he's telling us is that no one can take us to court before God and win a case against us. I don't care how expensive the attorney. I mean, you can get like the best of the best. I mean, you can get from Johnny Cochran to Matt Locke to the guys on Law and Order to anywhere in the world. It will not matter because no one can bring an accusation against you. Why? Because God himself is the one who has declared us to be righteous. 
Meaning when you trust in Christ, you don't just get forgiven of your sins, which is important, you also get made righteous. The righteousness of Jesus is given to you. It doesn't mean you're perfect the rest of your life, it means your standing with God is the same standing that now Jesus has. You are a son, you are a daughter, you are in right relationship, you have righteousness that's been given. Because you can't have a right, we can't find a righteousness of our own because we've sinned against God. So we must depend on a foreign righteousness. Well, I can't turn to any of my family or friends or coworkers or acquaintances or anything because they've sinned too. They have their own sins to worry about. So I need to depend on a foreign righteousness who's been given to us and his name is Jesus. Here's what's good news for sinners like me. It's his grace that keeps you in the faith, not your faith that keeps you in his grace. Jesus talked about having a faith just the size of a mustard seed. It's not the size of my faith that makes me right with God, it's the God of my faith. It's Jesus himself, like he's the one that keeps me. That's why Paul could write those things and be honest and say, but I know that Jesus keeps me. Jesus frees me. So he says then, because there's no condemnation in Christ, which we say about these things, if God's for me, who else in the world can be against me? It's important though, this is not universal. God is not for everyone. He loves everyone, but he's not for everyone. If he was, it wouldn't be significant for Christians to claim that. We gotta read the Bible in context. That's what really matters, not isolated verses. Who is God's for? God is for the people, we're told that he, done that little series of words, that he predestined, called, justified, one day glorified, his, his church, his people. That is who God is for. And he loves all people, but he has a particular love for his people. Hear me right there, please. He loves all people, without disclaimer, without clarification but he also has a particular love for his own people. Today's Father's Day, happy Father's Day, once again to the dads in this room. Uh, also, uh, I prayed for people before the service today that maybe the, those that have maybe hard days on Father's Day because you miss your dad or have bad memories of your dad or whatever it might be. Uh, I prayed for peace for you today uh, when it comes to that and I hope God answers that prayer. But I, I, when I think of Father's Day, you don't think of just you as your dad, you think of, as a dad, you think of your kids on Father's Day. And I, I, I love everybody's kids, don't get me wrong, but I love my kids more than your kids. Just wanted to be honest. Hate to break it to you. And I'm guessing you love your kids more than you love my kids if you have them, right? Like, I love my kids more than I love your kids. Your kids can come over, they gotta go home eventually, all right? They say it's the best thing about being a grandparent, like you get to have all the fun and then they go home. <laughs> they, they, go, they, say, they go to somebody else's house. Again, I love, I hope I love all people. I'm not great at that, I'm working, that's a work in progress. But I hope I love everybody's kids, but I love my kids differently. In the same way God loves all people, but he has a particular love for his children. Jesus called the church his bride. His bride, think about what that means. His bride. Now, I would hope that I have a brotherly love for other women in this room, right? But if I told y'all that I love my fellow female church members in the same exact way I love my wife, what would you say? Well, I'd be sleeping in the driveway. That'd be odd to you, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be strange? Like, you love other people, but you didn't stand before every woman and say, till death do us part. Right, you didn't say in sickness or in health. 
it's love for all people, but there's a different particular love that you have for your wife, that you have for your bride. And that imagery is not random. It's what God wants us to see the significance of what it means to have him for us, to be his people, to be the very people where he says, no one can bring an accusation against my elect because they belong to me. Yes, I love everybody, but these are my people. All those who have come and will come to faith, these are my actual people. God's always had a people, that's not new. In the Old Testament, it's called Israel. And today it's called the church. He loves all, but has a particular love for those, Romans 8, 28 says, who love God and who are called according to his purpose. This prayer from Scotty Smith, he's a pastor in Nashville, is just great. I hope it encourages you today. He says, you created us. It's a prayer. Chose us, bought us, reconciled us, and delight in us. Who cares what anybody else thinks, says, or feels about us? And if that's true, then it's not going to matter to me, hopefully, for the long term, what somebody else thinks. Forgive us, this is so important, for giving any other voice more power over our hearts than yours. Whether it's the accusations of the devil or just the meanness of men, the contempt of our shame or the flattery of the world. He doesn't say we should never listen to anybody else. That's not what he's saying. That's called foolishness and arrogance. He's saying those words shouldn't have more power over what God says about you, what God thinks about you. I love that he says this, you delight in us. Do you know if you're a child of God that God delights in you? It's so important to remember that God doesn't just love you, he actually likes you too. He doesn't just love you, he likes you. He delights in you. Isn't that an incredible thing to know? Will you please remind yourself of that today? Maybe driving home or everybody, guess what? The creator of the universe, he actually likes me. He delights in us, like a father delights in their children. And there's times where the father disciplines his children we never stop being his children. He never stops delighting in his children. And God has been for you since the beginning of time, according to Romans 8.30. He's always been for you. Our calling in Christ, our election in Christ, our role as his people is the basis of our certainty. Again, just this kind of generic belief in assurance or like a once saved, always saved, and just kind of throwing it out there generically doesn't really, it doesn't really do much for us unless it has an anchor. And while we believe those things, the anchor of that belief is our standing with God based on what he says to be true about our relationship with him that has gone on and his will pursuing us and bringing us in and calling us since the beginning of time. So here's the question based on everything we've read. Romans 8, here's based on everything we just read, all the truths we just shared. I know there's some heavy ones in there you gotta kinda come to grasp with it. None of these truths, uh, Burke Parsons, who's a pastor in Orlando, he likes to say that, that these truths from Romans 8 are not a sledgehammer, they're a pillow. They're a pillow. They're meant to comfort us, not to be used in any kind of aggressive manner or in a debate, but to comfort us. Here's what Paul says, he's starting to summarize this part. He says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? I mean, how else do you respond to that? He's saying all these things, there's no condemnation that you know, God has called us and justified us. If God's for us, who can be against us? Who can bring an accusation against God's people? And then he says, well, 
who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, this is what they were going through at the time in the first century, can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And the answer is none of those things. They're real things, they're hurtful things, they're important things. You're dealing with those personally right now, but none of those things can separate you from the love of God. They might separate you from the love of other people. Tragically, they might even separate you from this world ultimately. But they cannot separate you from the love of God that is eternal. Look at the list back from verses 38 and 39. He just lists these things. He's like death, nope, life, nope. Angels, rulers, things present, as in things going on in your life right now, nope. Future things that are gonna happen to all of us, nope. Powers, height, depth, no. He goes, any other created thing in case I left anything out? No. We sang a song at FCA camp when I was a kid, probably in middle school, it went like this, said, I'm not gonna sing, so I want you to come back next week, but I'll just talk it out. And it says, can't nobody love me like Jesus. Can't nobody love me like the Lord. Can't nobody love me like Jesus because he's my friend. Man, that's some great things to learn when you're 12 years old at FCA camp. And it's still true today that nobody loves you like the Lord. And that love is a distinct, particular, purposeful, sovereign, gracious, merciful love. It's an exhaustive list, death, life, angels, rulers. It's an exhaustive list of what will not be able to separate us from Christ. It's really important to know this because contrary to the way some speak of God's love, God's love is not an approval of your sin. It's an approval of you, his child, if you're in Christ, even when you sin. It's not an approval of your sin. Oh, God loves me. It doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want. This is not the scriptures tell us. It's the opposite of that. That God loves me. Now I want his kindness to lead me to repentance. And he's actually going to discipline me and rebuke me through his word for the things I do that make me a bad son or a bad daughter. Now our motivation, because we already have God's love, we can't earn it, it's been given to us, we can't be separated from it, so now our motivation is, I wanna be a good son. I wanna be a good daughter. And how much easier is that to pursue when you know your parents love you unconditionally? I've always thought it was strange, and I'm not judging anyone, when, and I'm not talking about mental health issues, there's a whole other conversation, a whole other serious thing, or addictions, things like that. I've always thought it was strange when rebellious children come from loving families. When families who have loved them well and have tried their hardest as parents, because it's so difficult, you know, rebel. Because the question is, what are you rebelling against? What are you rebelling against? That's the message of repentance for us. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. I'm sure families in here who've experienced that have wondered the same thing. Like, what have we done? And the answer is nothing. The answer is you've loved well, and don't be discouraged in that. Know that God still has you, and God has used you. And the best part about the prodigal son story in Luke 15 is that son eventually comes home because he knows where the love is. It's with his father who welcomes him. So here's what I want for us. I don't want God's love to be some memory of the past, some abstract feeling. I want it to be a moment by moment reality and awareness of Jesus Christ 
going before you and advocating for you right now. See, the reason Paul says that nothing can separate us from love of Christ is because Christ is alive, he is risen, and he's still loving you right now. God's love for you is not past tense. He's loving you right this moment. So here's my big hope for us as I get ready to pray. And that is that we'll have faith. And what do I mean by faith? Faith means we take God at his word that he loves us. We take God at his actual word that he loves us. And he tells us he loves us in the fact that while we were sinners, Romans 5, that Christ died for us. The book of 1 John, we're told in chapter four that we can only love because he first loved us. His love went before us. His love has rescued us. His love has made us a people of his own that no accusation can go against. Please be strengthened in your faith this morning by believing that God actually loves you and he's proven it by Jesus shedding his blood on behalf of you and rising from the grave three days later and it wasn't a past tense one-time event. Jesus continues to stand in your place as your mediator today and that's really good news for all of us. There's not more to be gained by disobeying God than there is to be gained by obeying him. The world does not love you back. You don't have to go around God instead of to God for the things you're looking for in your life. Go to the one who has first loved you and that nothing can separate you from his love. Those of you who don't know Jesus, maybe you're just not an atheist so you think you're a Christian and uh, please know that Christianity is defined by Christ. You respond to good news. How awesome would it be if you got to experience his love by trusting in Christ? If you want to talk to somebody after the service, we'll have folks up here that can answer your questions, walk you through what it means to trust in Jesus and you can know for certain that nothing can separate you from his love. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word, and we're thankful you've given it to us. What an act of grace that we have the words of our God in the scriptures. And we're grateful they point us back to you over and over again, that your love is better than any counterfeit love this world has to offer. Pray for the dads today in this room, for those who've already raised kids, I thank you for them, and the work they've put in. And for those who are right in the middle of raising children right now, Lord, I ask you to give them grace and to strengthen them as we know that you have designed families to have fathers or father figures, grandfathers, all those who step in the gap. But we are grateful for all of it. But we know we lean on you, our heavenly father, the only perfect father. I'm just glad that I don't have to be a perfect father because you are. And I had the freedom to try to be a good son to you by loving the ones you've given me as well as I can by your grace. For those that today is hard, I just ask for your peace to be in their lives and be a reality. And they can know that nothing, including death, including despair, nothing can separate them from your love in Christ. We thank you, that's real. In the name of Jesus, we pray and now we will sing. Amen, let's stand together and sing the good news of Jesus.